Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. We assume that you, our listeners, get all of your information and news from us, so our two-week hiatus has left you completely in the dark. If you were living under rubble, you may not have heard about the building collapsing, but there was a petite bourgeois housing unit that collapsed like two weeks ago. It seems so long ago because it happened on June 24th in the middle of the night. The Champlain Tower South Condominium in Shithole, Florida, partially collapsed, killing 105 residents. It was a 12-story, 136-unit, reinforced concrete building. The pool structure failed, causing a progressive structural failure that toppled about half the structure. The cause of the initial collapse is not directly known, but the structure was known to be defective since at least 2018, based on an analysis by a structural engineering firm named Morbido Consultants. At the time of its collapse, the city of Surfside was inspecting the building for its 40-year recertification. I don't know the public record law in Florida, but somebody should request all those records. And I'm sure it comes as an absolute shock to most of you that a for-profit property management entity would do something that causes injury to people in the name of enriching shareholders. As a surreal bit of real life, on July 14th, Miami-Dade Circuit Court Judge Michael Hansman approved the sale of the collapsed building site to developers. On this episode... We talk about the free market and its inability to create societally beneficial incentives. The general public discourse hasn't covered anything beyond the death tally. And at this point, the story is basically moving out of the media cycle and people have stopped caring. It collapsed so long ago that the conversation we had was basically whether or not they were actually looking for survivors or whether or not they were trying to minimize liabilities. We made very distinct statements, not in the podcast, but between each other, basically saying that it feels like the rescue mission was more about containing the media cycle than it was really about saving anybody's life. Because they weren't really removing any rubble. They were just sort of standing around and getting buckets of dirt. I don't even know. It was wild. We had a bunch of discussion about the search and rescue strategy. We don't have all the information, but the basic question we were asking was, are there any survivors? I think there were two people rescued from the rubble pile immediately after the collapse. A boy and a female, I think it was his mom. She required a field amputation for her leg, and the boy appears to have been okay. Our basic conclusion was that nobody survived the collapse beyond these two. There are no air pockets. Nobody is under the debris. And the response team knew this pretty much right away. There's plenty of equipment that they can use to do sound detection, heat detection, stuff like radar or LIDAR might have been useful. The point is that there were no survivors, and the rescue became a show beyond the first couple hours. The goal became not to cause harm to anybody else. This is why the remaining structure was imploded, and also why you didn't see the rescue operation working too hard. You saw like eight firefighters with a single red bucket, where there was a guy at the front loading the bucket with a handful of debris. Then they would Chinese fire drill it to the guy at the back of the line who dumped the bucket out 12 feet away. Then a bunch of firefighters got COVID and had to be pulled from the line. But the important thing is that they were all doing this very... Yeah, it, it made urgently. no sense. Urgently, yeah. What it comes down to, and this is what we're getting to, is that you know there was a building collapse that happened in Florida. You know, there's all this video, by all I mean, two or three video shots of you know the pool draining and the building collapsing, and it was a known you know thing that was going to happen. And the media has been arguing essentially that you know the landowner is a piece of shit, which they are. All landowners are a piece of shit, and that this could have been prevented had they just followed engineering guidelines. And our argument is going to be that the engineering guidelines are just that guidelines but what the real trend is is that everybody's trying to make things cheaper and quicker and 
with less oversight in order for them to get more profits. And no matter what happens, this is going to happen again. Because the pendulum's going to swing back, they're going to inspect all the buildings, they're going to waste a bunch of capital fixing other fucked up buildings in Miami, and then all of a sudden it's going to swing back the other way, and all the land developers in six years are going to get mad about the regulations, and guess what? What do you think is going to happen? They're going to start cutting corners on new builds to remain slightly more profitable, and you're going to get a new construction build that will fail. A bunch of people will die and everybody will be shocked. And how I know this is that there were lots of building failures throughout the last 40 years. And in fact, you learn about them in ethics classes. And if you know that buildings fail and overpasses fail and shuttles explode and cars explode and all of these known engineering failures, then you should know that cutting corners and doing it the way they did is going to cause death. But it turns out that... The building codes are there to protect the builders, not to protect the individuals who are living in the homes. Because from an engineering perspective, creating a building that is structurally stable has a known solution. You still solve a problem. Absolutely. I mean, the civil engineers have already solved this problem. But where all the money comes in is, well, we got to have columns. Let's make it cheaper. Well, how do you make it cheaper? Let's use laminated. Or let's use poured concrete with less and less rebar. Or let's let's do X, Y, Z. Let's not have water sensors on it. Let's not have, you know, waterproofing on it. Let's let's cut all these corners because we've met the minimum requirements and the minimum requirements again protect the builders. Because as long as you follow the law, you've mitigated liability. And this applies to residential construction as well as I mean this was a twelve story building made out of reinforced concrete, presumably. It's about cutting corners and being more profitable. So building codes, residential, commercial, industrial, same issue. If you can build it cheaper, it's more profitable. End of story right? Yeah. Building codes at their most basic level are an attempt to define best practices based on hard engineering and safety objectives, but that shit costs money. And so who sets the building codes? Well, they're mostly defined by municipalities, but as we've discussed before, who actually controls local municipalities? Yeah, weird. It seemed like the builders in general have a big say in municipalities. So they're the ones that get to determine which codes are adopted for the cities. So are you a U.S. building code? Are you U.S. electrical or the national electrical you know, code? Or are you the HUD, which is 24-inch on-center studs instead of 16 on-center studs, right? There's all these different code bases out there, and whatever the city chooses is what the city gets. And the builders have an incentive to lobby the city and ensure that candidates and politicians on the city with any political say are acting in the interest of the builders. That's by design. That's how the free market is intended to work. The city can wrap up any failure into sovereign immunity, Yep. absolve themselves of any liability, and the builders can go on and say, well, we followed the rules and it was, I mean, people died, but like we didn't do anything wrong, so it's fine. It's it's the city's fault. So there's no accountability. and, And that's again by design. So in this specific example in Florida, you have the owners or the board of directors, I'm not exactly sure what the legal structure is, but there's all sorts of reports that point to a structural engineer doing an analysis that says this building is imminently going to fail or whatever the language is that was like, shit's fucked, yo. So they knew they chose to do nothing, business decision, because at the end of the day, they probably don't have liability. It's not going to be profitable to spend, I don't know, $20 million, like literally repouring the structural, like, vertical supports of a 12-story building. There's no way. You're not going to do it because it's not profitable. Tear the building down. So you would have to tear the building down, but that's also not profitable. So what are you going to do? So at some point, the city exists to say, well, 
we have building codes. And well, based on this giant crack in your vertical support column, we can say with some reasonable degree of scientific certainty that this building is imminently going to fail. In fact, we actually have a report that you, the board, funded stating as such. So we're going to condemn the building. Like, why didn't that happen? Yeah, I don't get that. That's because it was too profitable, right? It was rich people living on basically the water or with a view of the water. They weren't going to kick out 12 stories worth of people with money because it wasn't profitable for anybody. And this may be controversial sounding, but you want the free market. But guess what? As a free market person, like how do you know a building's going to fail? The free market is all about choice. So how do you know that your building's going to collapse? And the answer is you don't because you're not an inspector or a structural engineer. So the free market does not work when it comes to things like infrastructure because it takes teams of engineers to maintain infrastructure so the idea about you know we're gonna all free market belongs in housing it doesn't it's bullshit because now you get the question is is who do you who's held accountable you're not going to go out and not live in an apartment complex that was the concrete was poured by jim's concrete because jim's concrete just poured the concrete based on the architectural design which was signed off by a pe for a firm who was then project managing this large construct or this large building who had probably just construction loans. So you're going to boycott the banks that greenlit this construction loan? Probably not. The project management company probably doesn't even exist anymore because it's a liability shell. The architectural firm just did it to spec because that's what they're asked to do. They're not, they're not required to do the environmental impact or the fact that they put a pool next door. They just put a building up. How do they know that climate change is going to have salt water flying in there? They don't know that. They just know based on the grade of the ground, this is what the building should be. So all along the way, we can tell you for certain that the free market does not work ever. But in this case, will never work for buildings because there's no way for you to ever have a free market in a building. So most basic example of this is there are two buildings right next to each other. Totally different designs. Same exact rent, same view. Which one do you choose? The most brutalistic one. The squarest building with the most concrete-looking building. I, it's hard to know because do you form? Do you decide functionality? I, you, you don't even know. You have no idea. You have no way. And that's the point. You can't know what building is built better because you don't. You're not a structural engineer. You don't know. But if we're gonna buy into this free market, we'll ensure that the optimal outcome occurs. You would think that the building that is structurally better would fill up first, right? I want the building that isn't going to collapse. So I'm going to rent from that building. Yeah, so now now it's like, well, how do you know? So someone's like saying, yeah, this is a really good building. It's like, remember that London fire? The Grenville Tower or the Grenfell or something like that? Yeah, and everybody died inside. It's okay. The insulation's probably not that flammable. Yeah. it's Yeah, it's the same exact problem. It was profitable. It was profitable. And not only was it profitable, it was to the point where it was encouraged by the government because they wanted more low-income housing. And in the way in Miami, it was profitable because they wanted more high-end buildings to attract more money into the heart of the city. And that's the key distinction between those two examples is that in London, I think for the most part, people living in the Grenfell Tower were generally poor and it might have been subsidized housing to some degree. So those people didn't have a choice. They could not move out and find another dwelling to occupy in terms of having a residency. In Florida, I think for the most part, everybody that lived there could have chosen to move, but they did not choose to do so because they didn't know that the building was imminently going to collapse, presumably. Otherwise, I would think you would move, but 
I guess I, I don't know that. If I was presented with a support column that had giant crack in it, my reasonable assumption would be, well, that doesn't look right. Maybe I should not live in this building that is classified as going to imminently collapse by the people that run the building. But I don't attend my homeowners association board meeting, so I don't know this. We have proposed a theory on this podcast about acute and chronic violence. And we're continuously going to frame it in that way. So the nice housing complex that collapsed is a form of acute violence that happened because of the free market or the you know right-wing ideology of limited government and limited oversight. That is a completely different type of mentality of individuals who are living in housing complexes that are basically made out of steel and brick that don't have any aesthetics to it, but they live a very unfulfilling and lousy life, right? Chip paint, bad, you know, water, bad heating, bad, you know, anywhere you, you think about it, you know, the projects. That's chronic violence. In this case, what's interesting is that the PMC or the petite bourgeois were the ones that actually died here of the acute violence. It wasn't directed at the at the poor worker. It was directed at the middle upper class. They had the means to avoid the violence, and they did not. Whether it was because of an information gap was probably the case. But at the end of the day, they were still victims of acute violence caused by effectively state violence. Yep. The state caused this by not enforcing inspections because it doesn't benefit basically their donors, their builders. The builders don't care because it's profitable. And unless they incur some tail risk event, who cares? So this this is a tail risk event if you're a builder. Your building collapses. That's the worst case possible outcome. You probably have insurance for it, though. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure you're financially ruined if you're a builder either. I, I don't know exactly how that works out. The people that held insurance on their condo unit, their estates are probably getting absolutely no money. Because I really doubt that the insurance policy covers building collapse. I would think that liability would get passed on to the ownership group of the building, but the ownership group of the building is likely insolvent and has no money now anyway, so they just declare bankruptcy and nobody gets paid out, and yep. the problem goes away, there's no liability, who cares? The victims were the people that died, and really nobody else is going to be impacted by this. So the system won't change because there's no incentive for the system to change. No, I mean, I mean, again, we're going to see the pendulum swing. They're going to go as hard as they can to basically show the population that Miami is a safe place to live in the next, I'm going to guess, two to three years. And then you're going to see it scale back again. As the sea begins to climb in Miami, they're going to push farther and farther back, and they're going to start seeing buildings come down and buildings go up over and over again. Miami is going to have a lot of change soon. And all of these rules are going to be put in place now are going to be rolled back. It's going to be another dangerous place to live. Not because of poor people committing violence, but because of rich people committing violence. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.